Good morning, church. Buenos dias. Today's scripture is found in Philippians 1, 18b through 30. Please stand for the reading of the word. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have an ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. This is God's word. You may be seated. <clears throat> All right. Well, hey, uh, you'll have to excuse me. I have a bit of a cough, so um, fortunately you guys tend not to sit in the front rows anyway, so that, that works fine, but uh, just want to give you a heads up on that. Um, hey, uh, this morning I want to talk about uh, this, this passage that we get to, Philippians 1, verses 18 to 30, and this idea that I, I really feel like is kind of said throughout the scripture, uh, this idea of readiness. Uh, of being ready. And so just before we kind of jump into scripture, I'm just kind of curious about your relationship with being ready. Are you someone who gets ready on time? Or are you one of those people who, I don't say which spouse is which, but it's like maybe you're out in the car waiting for that person to be ready. Um, we have one of those, kind of each of those people in our family. And it's always fascinating how, how one person will say they're ready. And they'll say that, hey, I'll be in the car in just a minute. And then the other person is waiting there, uh, that person being me. And so... Um, <laughs> You know, I, I think that there's a lot involved in getting ready that sometimes we don't realize. Sometimes there's things that we forget last minute. Sometimes there's, there's you know, gifts or bags or something to grab that I was meant to give this to this person when I saw them later on, or where are my glasses at, or where are my keys at, or all the aspects involved in readying yourself for the day. Think about even this morning. I'm not sure when your day started this morning, but there was a process for you of getting ready. Maybe you rolled out of bed that was and you were very comfortable and took, a t took your time getting ready for church. Maybe for some of you, you were rushed and slept in. You're like, oh my gosh, I'm going to be late to serve, and I need to be here as soon as possible. I, I think for us as, as, as believers, there is a type of readiness that Paul spurs us onto when it comes to how we are engaged and ready to live this life for Christ. 
And that's something that we see in the book of Philippians clearly. And it's something that I want to talk about today. Paul does this thing often. And as you guys know, maybe if you've read his letters to other folks, he'll he'll say this kind of phrase or this communicate this idea that it's like, hey, if you don't kind of know how to do this spiritual discipline or this thing, just watch me. Kind of follow me as I follow Christ. Watch me and figure out kind of how, how I've decided to do this in my own life and follow my footsteps. And that's kind of what Paul says in this passage. He says, follow me. Come along for the ride. I want to show you what I've learned, how God has been gracious to me and showed me how to uh, be faithful in these areas. And so as you think about your spiritual readiness, that's what we're looking at this morning. As Paul thinks about teaching and preaching and and living out the gospel, there are, are four ways that I believe he points us to in this passage of how to be ready and how to live in Christ and how to advance the gospel. So the first thing is this. If you're taking notes, four points, simply this. Number one, uh, Paul is ready for victory. He's ready for victory. And it says this in verse 18, uh, the second part of 18. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. This is a theme that we see throughout all, all of Philippians. You see it in the first part of this, uh, this passage of Scripture. Yes, and I will rejoice. Philippians, in very, uh, in very kind of clear, uh, basic terms, is about joy. It's about, hey, how do we have a joy in Christ that, that resonates past circumstances and, and kind of our understanding of the world that we're living in? How do I rejoice no matter what uh, situation I'm in? And Paul starts off right off the bat. Remember, he's in prison, and he says, yes, and I will rejoice. I will rejoice. And look, I, I kind of, I, I understand Paul saying that, and this is all, you know, a very scriptural and good and a good way for us to go, but... It is confusing sometimes because Paul will oftentimes do this thing where he pairs two things that are unalike. He says, yes, I'll rejoice, but he says, I'll do so in the midst of these awful, hard situations. Well, that doesn't make sense. It's like, Paul, have you like, not seen people in a long time? Like, are you not thinking clearly? How do you rejoice? How do you associate joy with hard things? How is it that Paul, in, you know, in my life, I'm like, if I experience something difficult then I'm in a bad mood or I'm discouraged or I'm tired or there's these, all these negative emotions that come with hardship. But for Paul, for some reason, the God has gifted him with this perspective of in hard things, I'm going to rejoice. When hardship comes, I'm going to find my joy and happiness and contentment in the Lord. And Paul says, man, I'm, I'm ready. I'm, I'm ready for anything. I'm ready for victory. I'm ready to win. It's not the circumstance. That's something that I I, I need us to understand this morning, that when Paul says that he's rejoicing, it's not because of the circumstance. It's because the circumstance brings out this level of fellowship with the Lord, and that is why he's rejoicing. That's the reason, the purpose for his rejoicing. And so Paul is ready. He's anticipating. You see the words there, my eager expectation, right? Man, I'm hopeful. I'm ready to win. I'm ready for victory. I'm ready to actually come out on top of this. 
if you have your, uh, a pen or a highlighter, if you look at each of these verses even, you see this confidence kind of bleeding through. Verse 18, it says, yes, I will rejoice. Jesus Christ, verse 19, Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Verse 20, as always, Christ will be honored in my body. Paul is like a, this intense guy. And I, I think sometimes um, we maybe lose sight of that because we, we read his, his words and kind of our voicing, but he's an intense guy. He's a competitive guy. He, he would oftentimes talk about the Christian life, and he would compare it in Ephesians to being a soldier. And it's like, if you want to if you want to connect with God, if you want to be protected and be equipped for the battle ahead, then you have to put on the full armor of God. This is intense language, right? Um, you know, in, in, in Timothy, 2 Timothy, he would talk about how we as Christians are like athletes, that we would have to prepare our body to run the race ahead, and not only just run it, but to finish it. He talks about fighting the good, good fight of faith. Paul is ambitious, He's a guy you probably wouldn't want to play Monopoly with, right? It'd be just like your friendship would be over. Like there'd be lots of awkwardness. And it's like, why are you so serious about this? It can almost come off as arrogant. But I want us to stop before we go there. Paul is not arrogant. Because I think arrogance, there's a sense of delusion when we think about arrogance. Paul is not delusional. Paul is confident because he knows and so if, if we can, like I said before, follow Paul as he follows Christ, can we borrow some of that gospel confidence and ambition for our own life? Can we also look over Paul's shoulder and, and realize Paul knows the end of the story. He is hopeful. And so as Christians, we should also be hopeful because we also know the end of the story. If you look at Revelation, if you've read that book before, it's this beautiful vision, this, this imagery of how how God wins at the end. What a hope that we have in Christ. I, I was at a funeral yesterday, and, and some of you were there as well, and I was just struck over and over again by this, this sense of like, man, we as Christians, we don't mourn like other people mourn. We, we know the end of the story. And so th this, this guy who was a faithful husband and dad and grandpa that we were at the funeral for to, to celebrate he loved Jesus. And so there was this hopefulness in everybody who shared. And it almost borders on arrogance, but it's like this is kind of how we roll when it comes to our confidence in the Lord. Paul had a lot of practice in being delivered. That's what it says actually in, um, in verse 19. The help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Where, where does Paul get that type of understanding from? Well, it's because Paul was delivered often. He was delivered over and over again. In fact, Acts 16, you can read about it. I mentioned it the first week we started Philippians, but in Acts 16, we read about how Paul and Silas are in jail, how there, there was an earthquake. God caused the, the, the gates to open up for people to, to run out, and, and the jailer is ab about to end his own life because he realizes, I'm on the hook for these, these prisoners that have run out regardless. And Paul and Silas, for some reason, decide to stay, and they share the gospel with this jailer, and he comes to Christ. Paul's experienced deliverance before. Later in Philippians 2, we'll read in a few weeks, Tim, Timothy and Epaphroditus, two brothers in Christ, two guys who love Paul deeply. Paul talks about how these guys have, have come through for me over and over again. They've delivered supplies for me. They've encouraged me in all kinds of ways. Paul is somebody 
who is used to God delivering for him, God coming through for him. And that's where he gets his confidence. That's why Paul is ready to win. And I just want to remind you this morning that that type of confidence in the Lord is for us as well. That, that if you are in Christ, that you can count on the fact that he will deliver you. Now, it may not be in the way that you think. Listen to me. It may not be, you know, via a guy knocking on the door with a huge check, you know, like, what was it, Publisher's Clearinghouse back in the day, right? It's like, it, it may not be that way. It may not be through some windfall, through some, some you know, person in your family that's died and given you money. It may not be a, a healing or something that you're praying for that's very much in line with, man, this would be good for a lot of people in my family if I were to be healed from this illness or taken care of in this way. It may not be in those ways, but whether in this lifetime or when we are in glory with Jesus, we will be delivered. And that is the thing that Paul gets into in this passage. He's not just simply saying, like, victory, deliverance means that I'm out of jail. Paul's going to get into the fact that whether I live or die, it's still a win. It's still a win. Paul is different. And so I hope that builds your faith. And I, I, I want us to try to do a better job of connecting the dots when it comes to what is God doing in our lives that sometimes we just chalk up to being circumstantial or coincidence. Um, my wife is much better at this than, than me. She's oftentimes seeing how the Lord is working behind the scenes in these areas, and she's often the first person to remind me, that's why this happened, because God was doing this in the background of things. And I'm like, I, I didn't even think about that. That's totally true. May it build our confidence, because... Paul leads the way. He's seen the impossible happen before, so he's ready for victory. That's the first thing we see from this section. The second thing that we get to is that Paul is ready, not only for victory, but he's ready to die. He's ready for death. Verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My death is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. We've probably heard this verse before. You've probably heard this preached on before. Maybe you, you have it on a sweatshirt or a, a coffee mug or something. This is one of these verses I mentioned a few weeks back that, that man, Paul really uh, has the ability in this, this uh, letter especially to just drop these kind of mic drop like verses and to clarify things or to sum up attention that is, is very clear in Scripture. He sums this up. He's like, look, when it comes to life and death, it's like this kind of being between a rock and a hard place, right? It's, it's like this no-win situation, except that instead of it being a no-win situation, Paul frames it differently. He says that it's actually a no-lose situation. Either way, it's a win. It's a no-lose situation. And in verse 23, he says that it's, it'd be better. My desire is to depart and be with Christ. What is better than being with Christ? Nothing. So just for a second, I want you to think on about your, just your greatest day you've ever had in your life. Maybe it's a certain milestone, an event. Maybe it's your wedding day or the first day you had a kid or maybe it's the day you graduated from college or maybe it's just a simple day at Disneyland that was amazing and the sky was clear and you had, you had good food or whatever the thing is for you, that is your best day ever that day will pale in comparison 
to just even, even a minute with Christ. And, and so Paul is talking about, look, when it comes to dying and being with Christ, it's, it's, it's not even close. It's, not, it's, it's far better to be with Jesus. It's far better to be with Christ. And so that, maybe that feels a little bit morbid to you, because I'm going to say it clearly. For the Christian, there should be a sense that death is desirable. Now, that's a little strange for us to think about, get our brains around, but it's true. Because life is very short, and eternity with Christ is forever. And I'd much rather be on this end of eternity. And so that means that that death has to shift for us a little bit. How we see death and dying has to shift a little bit. There's, There's three things I want to point out about Paul's readiness to die and how we can learn from this as well. The first thing is this, death is the eternal rest that we need. Death is the eternal rest that we need. When you think about death, instead of thinking about pain or suffering or who's left behind, I want you to think for a second about the most tired you've ever been, right? Maybe it's on the way home from work. Maybe uh, it throws you back to being a young mom with, with babies. Maybe it's you know, just a season of life where I'm just not sleeping well, and I would do anything to just kind of hit, hit the pillow and just sleep hard for like 12 hours. That'd be amazing. The most tired you've ever been. I remember when I was uh, in high school, I, used to, um, I was dating my, my now wife, Katie, and, and early on, I would kind of drive everywhere around the Inland Empire to just go, to, go here and go there, and then I'll drop her off you know, late at night. And I remember the drive home from coming from uh, dropping her off in Claremont to my house in Chino Hills, and I remember being so exhausted, like so tired. It was like scary tired, right? It was like I had no idea how I got from A to B at all. And, and it's like that kind of feeling where it's like I just want nothing more than just to lay in bed and sleep. And let me just tell you that death is that type of rest that we are promised, especially as believers. It's, it's the type of rest that a good night's sleep or a nap doesn't uh, do on its own. And so that's something that I want us to recall and remember. Man, death is, is the eternal rest that we need. Secondly, death is an eternal departing. Um, it's a departing. This is actually a word that we see um, that Paul uses in verse 23. My desire is to depart and be with Christ. And in the first century, this is a way that the church and folks would talk about death. It was uh, those who depart, departed, those who were departing to the next uh, stage of, of existence. And there's four examples that I want us to think about when it comes to this idea of departing. The first thing is I want us to imagine a, an animal, um, maybe an oxen or a cattle that has been detached from its, its load that it's carrying. That, that's the kind of milestone and moment of departing, right? Where, where you're moving away from this burden that you've been carrying for all of time. Another example would be a, a prisoner who is set free from, from prison. It's that type of departure. It's a joyful departure. And as we know that when we die, not only are we going to leave behind the cares and hurt and the hardship of this world, but we also leave behind our constant struggle with sin and our lack of holiness. And that's going to be like those, those chains, those, those uh, latches that are on our arms and legs being set free. 
Another example would be striking camp. Some of you guys like to camp. Some of you know that I don't like to camp. But Paul liked to camp. He was a tent maker. Maybe he didn't like to camp, but he made tents. That was one of his kind of side hustles. And, and he would do that often. And I can almost imagine Paul thinking about this idea of, of man, I, I have to, I'm kind of living this nomadic lifestyle. I'm setting up camp every day, every night, coming here and there. And this idea of departure is almost like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to never have to set up a tent ever again. right? I'm going to be forever in God's presence, in, in his holy presence with, with him in his home. And the final thing I think about is a ship leaving a harbor where back and forth, maybe you're a captain of a ship and you're constantly coming in and out of harbor. And, and departure means that I, I get to depart for the last time and not have to go through that process over and over again. These are some of the things that might help us as we think about death being positive things for the believer. Death being kind of reframed for us as Christians. The third kind of sub-point that I want to point out here is death is the doorway to be with Christ. Death is the door to be with Christ. I'll point back to verse 23 again. My desire is to depart and be with Christ. For that, what is the that? It's the being with Christ. That is far better. That should cause us so much joy, exhilaration, excitement that we get to be with Jesus. And death is the door to that. Our hearts should leap. That's like the best door ever to walk through. So if Paul had stopped there, I would be encouraged and excited about my position in Christ. If Paul stopped there and the Philippians were reading, uh, they would be excited about who they are in Christ and what they had to look forward to. But they would also probably be a little bit bummed out because it sounds like their friend Paul is getting ready to, to pass. It sounds like their friend Paul is getting ready and accepting his fate, and it's like maybe this isn't going to be a very much more time with Paul. But Paul doesn't know. We're not sure. Paul's not sure what's going to happen. And so he says, look, I have to be ready to die, but I also have to be ready to live. I also have to be ready to live. And that's what we see in the next few verses. We see Paul's motivation. That's something that it was clear from the start of Philippians is that in everything Paul says and does, his primary motivation is to preach the gospel and to proclaim Christ. And so that's, that's why he exists on this earth. And so let me just state the obvious. As Paul is getting ready to live, in order for us, in order for you and I to be ready to live, we have to be, uh, we have to live, to, in order to live for Christ, we have to actually live for Christ. And I know that's a little bit of a, an obvious statement, but that's something that takes intentionality and thoughtfulness. And every day we wake up and say, hey, this day is not going to be about me. It's going to be about Jesus Christ. That's a choice that I have to make. And, and so this point about being ready to live, this is in some ways maybe for some of you this morning who would almost like rather just hurry up and get to heaven and be like, you know what? I'm so future-oriented. I'm so excited about who I am in Christ. Like, I can't wait to be with Jesus. And so can we just kind of like fast forward all this life stuff and, and, and move forward to the end? If, if that's your perspective, let me just gently remind you that you are here for a reason. That you have purpose, you have marching orders, you have something that's bigger than you, you're even realizing to accomplish with your life. 
And so while you're thinking about heaven and victory and eternity with Jesus, that's great, but are you actually willing to live for him? In verse 24, Paul says that, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Remain in the flesh. Paul is readying himself, and he's thinking about the future, and he's realizing, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but I need to be ready for God to deliver me from prison. I need to ready myself to be back in fellowship with these Philippians. I need to ready myself to become an old man and to, to share stories and lead other people along the way. It's instructive for us. Paul's like, I have a larger purpose. What is the purpose of your life, by the way? What's the purpose for you in, in, in your everyday existence? Some of you uh, maybe would say something like, my purpose is to glorify God. That's great. That, that is our purpose, right? That's, that's that idea of to, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. But, but let me ask you this. If that's the purpose, wouldn't God most be glorified by our life if we were with Him in heaven and we didn't have to sin anymore or struggle with holiness anymore? Wouldn't that be glorifying to Him? Yeah, sure. So why does God leave us here? Why does God leave us here? I think God leaves us here when He could easily take us to heaven in order for us to accomplish with the Spirit, the one thing that we can't do in heaven that we can do here. And that is to bring people into a knowledge of who He is. That should be our, our primary purpose. It's like, hey, we want to share the good news of Jesus with everyone. And that's why He leaves us here. In verse 25, it's very obvious. Paul has decided. It says, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and for your joy in your faith. For your progress and for your joy in your faith. Notice, not to be snarky here, but Paul does not say, convinced of this, I will stick around in order to make a lot of money and to, like, to, to add up a bunch of stuff in my garage so I have a bunch of fun things to play with. It's like, he's not thinking about anything other than these two things. For your progress and joy in the faith. What an amazing perspective. Paul is convinced, he's decided that life is worth living. I've said the first thing already, but there's three, three reasons that Paul uh, helps us in this way. As Paul readies himself for life, number one, living for the growth of others. Verse 25, it says, for your progress. For your progress. When I think about progress, I think about this idea of being a trailblazer. Of, of kind of walking through the jungle with a machete and clearing a path for other people to follow. And, and that's, I believe that's what Paul's doing here. He's, he's cutting a, a trail through the jungle. It's, a, it's an army that advances ahead in order for, for the, those in behind to be able to walk through clear, in the clear. And so uh, it, maybe you play this role in your life directly. Perhaps you're a parent of children. Perhaps you are a, a shepherd or discipler of some sort. Listen, if that is you, there are people who are counting on you to cut the path and clear the path for them to follow. That's a major reason why we get to live this life. The second thing is that we would live so others would experience joy in Christ. That's what we talked about also, that there is a joyfulness that our life is not just simply meant to be gotten through or to kind of survive, but it's like, man, we get to enjoy our life in a way that reflects who we are in Christ. 
And when we stick around with that mature perspective, we model that type of posture to those around us. Have you ever met a grumpy Christian before? I have. And it's like, they've, they've missed this idea that the Christian life, that the, the life on earth is not just simply about survival or getting through. Um, it's about joy. And, and Paul says, let me be the reminder that you have things to be joyful for. The last thing, living so others will boast in Christ. Living so others will boast in Christ. Verse 26 says, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Ample cause, good reason. And so it's this idea that Paul's kind of saying, look, hey, I'm gonna, I, I might possibly get out of jail. That might happen. I might be released from prison. And, and so what is, what is Paul getting out of jail? How does that create ample cause for them to glorify Christ. Well, that means that as the Philippian church, as they receive Paul, they celebrate. They're excited that Paul's out of jail. Let's throw a party. This is amazing. Paul, good for you. But on the heels of that, and equally as important, they're like, thank you, God, for delivering Paul from jail. So we can have this, this, this reunion. So we can have this moment together. And Paul's like, allow my life to be that for you, that where it's like, let's celebrate together. But let's also give ample cause to glorify Jesus for all that he's done. What good news that is for us. For Paul, we start to understand that, that going to heaven, that dying early would be a selfish option. It, it would, for Paul, anyway, it would be something that, that at the end of the day, as he's wearing these things out, life and death, ready for both things, that for Paul to go to heaven at this point, it would, it would kind of rob him of this ability to minister to other people. And so in a way, he lays down this challenge for you and I this morning. And I was thinking about this in terms of just our motivations for life. Paul lays down this challenge, and I hope it's clear for you in your heart. And he says this, life is not about you. Life is not about our plans and what we hope to accomplish. That's not, like, that's, that's not the, the point of, uh, of why we're here on earth. It really is about leading other people. It's about leadership. Now, some of you might hear that word leadership and you kind of tune me out immediately. Maybe you're like, well, God, that's not the way God has designed me. I'm not outgoing and I don't like to talk in front of people. And Well, I'm, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about influence. I'm talking about an opportunity to bring people closer to the God that you and I worship. And I think some of us need to remember that that's a major reason that we are, are here is to influence people to know and love Jesus. And you may not think that you're interested in that or you're gifted to that or called to that. And I realize there's, you know, there's maybe some people, according to Titus and Timothy, who are called to specific uh, places in the church, like eldership. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about specifically uh, influence. Like this is in your small group time, in your missional community. This is as a, a, a parent. This is as a, a friend who you're, you happen to be one of those friends that people just come to for advice. Are you using that influence for God's glory? And so you may think that, man, you, you don't have what it takes to influence people. I'm too young. I'm too old. You know, I'm not, you know, all these kind of silly milestones that society puts in place. I'm not married. I don't have kids. I'm not the top dog of the office. Like, all these things come to mind when it comes to, like, who am I to say something to other people? I, I have a friend, um, and 
And he's, he fits in on many of those categories, right? He's, he's, he's about 31, 32. He's uh, unmarried, no kids. He's not the top dog in the office. He's not somebody who has necessarily position or power, but he has used his whole life for God's glory to influence people for Jesus. He, 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 um, he volunteers at his junior high youth group, and he hangs out with junior high kids twice a week. Um, he's made an intentional effort to be a part of his nieces and nephews' lives. He shows up for all their events and, and just there to encourage them, just like their, their uncle is around. And it's so exciting to see how this guy has not allowed these things to become excuses. Listen, we at times can be spiritually fat and lazy when it comes to thinking about how we spend our time. According to Philippians 1, there are only two scenarios here. There's not a third option. It's either that we're living our life for Christ or we're ready to die for Christ. There's not this other third option where we get to kind of hang out and live and do our own thing and occasionally do nice things for people. That's not in the Bible, all right? And so these are the only options we see from, from Paul. We were never meant to live for ourselves. And so no wonder that some of us walk around feeling like overstuffed and underutilized because you're not living your life the way you're supposed to. And this is what Paul encourages us towards this morning. He's ready in these ways. He's ready for victory. He's ready for death. And he's ready for life. But he's also ready to suffer. This is our last point this morning. Paul is ready to suffer. And some of you who are older in life, some of you have had it hard, understand that life is not, you know, this, this peachy, clean cut thing. It's, it's hard. It's, it's about suffering oftentimes. You've experienced that firsthand. Uh, in 2017, Chapman University uh, put together this survey. They went out and interviewed a bunch of people about death. And, and maybe you've heard this idea before, but they wanted to understand why people were so afraid of, of death and dying. Was it, you know, leaving people behind? Was it the experience was scary to them? Was it like the afterlife idea? What is so scary about death? And overwhelmingly, the surveys come back and you see that what people don't, uh, don't look forward to in death is the suffering part. It's the unknown of like, man, I don't, I don't want it to hurt or I don't want it to be this hard thing that's drawn out or it's the suffering that so many people are concerned about when it comes to death. We try our best to avoid hard things. We try our best to not feel hardship. And I want you to understand that that's not a biblical idea, that we would run away from hard things. Suffering is very much a part of life. It's very much a part of the Christian life. There's a, a quote that gets to the heart of this um, from a book called The Coddling. Um, let's quote here. Um, calling on the American mind. It says this, teaching kids that failures, insults, and painful experiences will do lasting damage is harmful in and of itself. Human beings need physical and mental challenges and stressors or we deteriorate. I, I realize there's some nuance to a quote like that, but overall, are we in the camp that says we can never experience hard things ever, ever? We don't want to experience difficult or, or suffering in our life. Paul says there are hard things for us to do. And he ends with this in verse 27. Uh, he says this, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He starts with this thing 
that really pairs well with suffering so often. Now, this is not what it sounds like. In some ways, we read this, and it says, uh, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. And maybe you read that, and you're like, do better, work harder, you know, be more holy. That's not what Paul is getting at here. Because as gospel-believing Christians, we know that we cannot do anything on our own behalf to make ourselves worthy of the gospel. And so what I think Paul is actually doing here is, is a little bit of some, some kind of like some nuance. This is not hard. This is not, this is not easy work for us to rely on the work of somebody else to make ourselves worthy, in other words. That's what he's saying. There's no way for us to be worthy on our own. And so the only way for us to be worthy is actually to rely on Jesus, to, to allow that worthiness to come through, to put ourselves in someone else's hands. I think about how uh, the disciples witnessed Jesus being beaten. And maybe they didn't realize it at the time, but certainly in hindsight, they perhaps put together this idea that, like, man, he was being beaten for us. Like, he was being, my friend was being hurt on my behalf. The, the women at the cross, seeing their friend Jesus hang on the cross and, and die at the end, there had to be the sense of, like, hey, that's, that's happening on our behalf. And so this is the kind of suffering that I, I think that Paul is getting at here. We don't wait to get worthy. You already are worthy because of the work of Jesus on the cross. 27b, we see another way that we suffer. It says this, um, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. This is another way that we can be ready to suffer, realizing that we have to stand firm at times. We have to stand firm. There's going to be times where, where the only way that we can get through hard things is not only to stand firm by ourselves, but to link up with other people in the church. And it's like this kind of like game, that like awful game in elementary school, Red Rover, right? And so you just all line up, and something hard comes your way, and you're like, you have to just brace. But you would never be able to survive that on your own. And the same is true for us in our spiritual lives. We're called to stand firm, but not just do so on our own, but with unity in the church. In verses 29 to 30, uh, it, it talks about how, and I'm not frightened, and fr- I'm not frightened by um, in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign of them, of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. So we see that there's also scary things that might happen. There might be frightening things that will come across because we, when we uh, live in Christ, we're going to experience suffering in that same way. And then the final thing is that we suffer for Christ maybe more explicitly, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engage in the same conflict that you, have, you saw I had and now hear that I still have. That conflict in verse 30 is in reference to this whole passage, this back and forth tension of like, is it better for me to stay or go? Because one day you and I will experience such suffering and conflict and hardship that we will kind of be faced with that decision on our own. It's like, would it be better for me to go? Would it be better for me to stay? Suffering for Christ is, is hard, and I'm just end with this kind of idea. I, I sometimes think that it's kind of like God is giving us a gift, and it's a two-part gift. Have you ever gotten a, a birthday gift before, a Christmas gift before, where it was like two parts? It's like your, your friend's like, open this, this one first, and then the next part, and it only makes sense if you do it this way. And so God's giving us this gift, right? And, and so you, you stand there with a the gift, and it's like matching paper, and, and you open it up, you're so excited, and you look in the box, and you're like, this is amazing. This is just what I wanted. 
It's belief. It's faith in you and God. You've given me this gift, and I'm so grateful for this gift. I can't believe that you would give this to me. And, and then he gives us this second gift. And with the same excitement, we open up that gift as well. And we kind of stare at it for a second. And we're like, is this right? Like, did you know, Amazon drop off the wrong thing? Like, what's... Because it's suffering. The box is filled to the top with suffering. But it's the same gift. You understand? It's the same thing that God gifts us with. And I, I think this is the dynamic that Paul is talking about in Philippians 1 here. That this gift of grace, the way that we see Jesus clearly, the way that we live for Christ on an everyday basis, it's a two-part gift of belief and suffering. I just want you to remember this morning that we can't have one without the other. It's important that we realize it's, life is not just simply about, I believe in God, and that's wonderful. I hope you do. But because of our belief in God, we are promised suffering. And so we look to Paul's example, his ready posture, and says, how, how, do I, how do I get ready for a life that looks like this? Are you ready? Are you prepared? That in your life, in your death, in your suffering, you're able to advance the gospel, to proclaim Christ clearly in all things. I hope you are. Let's bow our heads together as we wrap up here. God, we're grateful this morning for our, our big brother Paul as he writes this letter, for this example we read in Scripture, uh, for this tension that sometimes we often will feel, maybe even since we were kids, of like, is it better to, to stay here in this world or, or to go? And Lord, when, when we think about all that you've called us to, all that you have, all that you've called us uh, to live in, Lord, this, this life uh, to point people to others, God, it's, it's, it's better for us to stay, as Paul realized. So God, would you give us your help? Would you give us faith that would allow us to see the hard things in this life as a part of your plan? Would you give us endurance for the race ahead? And God, would we not live our lives for ourselves? God, in, in some small way, would everyone in this room walk out of here realizing in a, a more robust way that you have called us and equipped us to serve the people around us? God, we ask for your help in these ways. We love you and praise in your name.